Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about what potential tax legislation change could look like with new president-elect Joe Biden. So just a few short years ago, President Trump oversaw the passing of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, TCJA. That was in 2017. And there's pretty significant tax reform that was made as a result of that tax plan. Now, a few years later, we don't know all the specific details of exactly what Joe Biden's tax plan would look like, but we're starting to get a pretty clear picture. President-elect Biden has certainly released some high-level overview of what that tax plan would look like. And as a financial planner, and as you listening, looking at your financial planning, an important aspect of that is, of course, what you do with tax planning. And so getting a sense of where we are today, getting a sense of where things will likely be in the future, and understanding how tax legislation is going to change is really crucial to you understanding how you can make the most of your finances. So while we don't have the exact details yet, and of course, nothing will be finalized until something's passed through Congress, which could take a year or two, maybe even potentially more, what we do know and what we are going to talk about today is some of the proposed changes that President-elect Biden has indicated he would like to make. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how what changes might happen with individuals, what changes might happen with businesses, how this could impact real estate investors, in-state planning, and there's a whole myriad of changes that we're going to walk through. So let's jump right in. The most important thing, probably the biggest thing that most people are, are thinking about is how is this going to increase or how is this going to change my tax rate? For some people, there will be an increase. For others, there won't be. But let's walk through some of the details of what we know. Starting with this, number one, the top tax rate, that's probably going to increase. The proposal indicates that whereas today the top federal tax bracket is at 37%, it will likely go back to 39.6%. This is where that top tax bracket was before President Trump's tax plan took effect a few years ago, and it will likely revert to that 39.6%. The difference, though, is it's likely that that number might start at $400,000. So what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean now is if you are single, if you if you file taxes single, so not married, filing jointly, the top tax bracket starts at $518,400. So anything above that, you pay 37% taxes on. If you file taxes married, filing jointly, the top tax bracket starts at 622000 So anything above that, you would pay 37% taxes on. So with this proposed change, not only would that tax bracket increase from 37% to 39.6%, but it's likely that that top tax bracket comes down. And not, not the tax rate comes down, but the income threshold to hit it comes down. So instead of hitting it at $518,400 if you're single, that could potentially come down to $400,000. If you file taxes as married filing jointly, then that top tax bracket, instead of starting at $622,000, it could potentially start at $400,000. On Biden's website, it doesn't say whether it's different for married or whether it's for single. The tax proposal or the proposed tax plan, the generals of it, just start at $400,000. It doesn't discriminate between single or married. There might be some adjustments. There, There certainly will be some adjustments between now and the time the final proposal is released. But what we don't know is will there be a difference between hitting that if you're single versus hitting that if you're married? So in general, what could happen is the top tax rate will revert to the 39.6% and the tax threshold to hit that or the income that you need to earn before hitting that could decrease to around $400,000 from where it is today. Another change is in capital gains rates. 
So today, capital gains are taxed between 0% and 20%. Depending on how much income you have, a capital gain that you realize is going to be taxed either 0%, 15%, or 20% at the federal level. So capital gains are different than ordinary income. What a capital gain is, is if you purchase an investment, for example, any appreciation in the value of that investment. So if the investment grows in value and you sell it, the gains, so the difference between what you sold it for and what you purchased it for, that is treated as a capital gain. And there's a different tax bracket for that or different different tax rates for that compared to ordinary income. Today, those rates are either 0%, 15%, or 20%. And the proposal, it looks like those rates for people earning over a million dollars won't have special tax treatment. Meaning, whereas today there's preferential tax treatment for earning a capital gain versus earning ordinary income, that would likely go away. So whether it's a capital gain or whether it's income you earn from your job, it would be taxed the same. So what that means is that the top rate, if you're earning over a million dollars, well, you'd certainly be hitting that top tax bracket. And instead of paying between zero and 20% on capital gains, or in this case, it'd be 20%, you'd be paying 39.6% on those capital gains at the federal level. Now, what this doesn't include is there's also a 3.8%, what's called net investment income surtax on income of this nature, investment income, if you're earning over $250,000. So if you look at it today, the top federal capital gains rate is effectively 23.8%. So the 20% capital gain rate plus the 3.8% potential net investment income surtax. That top rate could jump from 23.8% up to 43.4%, which is what it would be if capital gains were treated just as ordinary income was, so taxed fully at 39.6% in the highest tax bracket, plus still having that 3.8% net investment income tax. So what you would start to see and what you're already starting to see is in anticipation of this, I'm seeing a lot of people starting to realize capital gains. The thinking is that if capital gains taxes are going to go up, well, capital gains are one of those things that you have control over when you realize them. You could let your investments continue riding, and as long as you don't sell them, you don't pay any taxes on those gains, but when you do sell, you're going to pay taxes on it. So I'm seeing some people now either start to realize them or seriously consider starting to realize them. Because if you can realize gains now at a lower tax bracket, it might make sense to do so. You could then reinvest that money and only the future gains from here on out could potentially be subject to this higher tax bracket. But this is one of those major planning points if your income is higher, that your capital gains tax could potentially go up significantly more than even ordinary income taxes. What we'll probably see from that is we might see the popularity of dividend investing diminish fairly significantly, at least for high income earners. If you're a retiree and you're living off of the dividends from your investment portfolio, well, today those are taxed at one rate, but that could be taxed at a potentially different rate in the future. And again, so much of this depends upon what tax bracket you're in, which is is going to be determined by how much total income that you have. So some of these changes may impact you. Some of them may not impact you at all, but certainly something to consider as you're looking at your tax planning. Another change is potentially implementing a new social security tax on wages over $400,000. The way that social security and the way that Medicare are funded today is there's what are called payroll taxes. You might hear them called FICA taxes. So any paycheck that you earn, 6.2% of your wages are withheld and those go to fund social security. That's how people collect their social security benefits. 1.45% of what you earn goes to fund Medicare. So a total of 7.65% of your paycheck is deducted from your paycheck, and that's what goes to fund the Social Security Medicare programs. Now, what happens is the Social Security cap is capped at $137,700 for 2020. What that means is on the first $137,700 that you earn, you will pay that full 6.2% Social Security tax. Once you hit that threshold, though, that tax goes away. 
So any income above $137,700, it's still fully taxable at the federal and state level, but there's no longer social security taxes that you're paying on it. Medicare is a different story. Medicare, there is no cap. So you continue paying that 1.45% regardless of your income. But what is being proposed is that on wages over $400,000, you would have social security tax implemented again. So in fact, you'd have what you might call a donut hole, where you pay taxes on the first $137,700 of wages, and that number gets adjusted up a little bit each year. Then those taxes would start again at $400,000. So the $263,000 or so dollars in between, that's not subject to social security taxes, but any wages below it are, as are any wages above it. So this is something that is, is likely to happen because people are talking about how is social security going to be funded? What are the ways that we're going to pay for it? And this proposal is Biden's way of addressing that, is taxing wages below the current threshold and then implementing a new tax on wages above the $400,000. So that's another change. Another change coming that will impact individuals is you may potentially have itemized deductions limited. What I mean by that is itemized deductions may be capped at 28% of their value. So what does that mean? Well, let's use an example. If you're in the top income tax bracket today, which is likely going to increase at 39.6%, Well, if you were to donate, say, $10,000 to charity, just to use a a simple example, well, what happens is when you itemize your deductions, that $10,000 comes off of your taxable income, meaning it reduces your taxes by $3,960. So where do you get that? Well, you multiply 10,000, which is the donation amount or the charitable donation amount, multiply that by 39.6, and that is essentially how much it saves you in taxes. Well, when I mentioned that itemized deductions may be capped at 28% of value, Under the new proposal, what that means is that that same $10,000 donation, that would only reduce taxes by $2,800, not $3,960. So essentially, you're multiplying the donation amount by the capped value of 28% instead of the the full tax bracket that you're in. Now, of course, if you're in the 28% or if you're under the 28% federal tax bracket, this won't impact you at all. This is mainly if you are in one of those higher tax brackets. If you are in those brackets, that's where you might start to see your itemized deductions limited, or you might start to see them capped at a certain amount. Of course, this doesn't just include charitable deductions. This would include things like mortgage interest. This would include things like state and local taxes, so property taxes. It would include charitable giving, things like that. Anything that you could potentially itemize, you could still itemize, but it's looking like you might be capped at the amount that you can deduct with those deductions. The next change could be a fairly substantial one, and there's there's talks of there might potentially be a flat tax credit to replace deductions for contributing to retirement plans. So there's not any details on exactly what this flat tax credit might look like, but here, here's why it's being implemented. Let's again use an example. Let's assume that you're in a 12% tax bracket. If you do that, then what that means is if you contribute $10,000, say you have a 401k plan at work, well, if you contribute $10,000 to it, then it saves you $1,200 in taxes. So that 12% by the $10,000 that you put into it. Well, if you're in a 35% tax bracket, then it saves you $3,500 in taxes if you make that same $10,000 tax deduction. Under the new rules, you might see that look quite different. Instead of your tax deduction being based upon whatever federal tax bracket you're in, there could be a fixed tax credit to replace the deductions for contributing to retirement plans. Biden hasn't released any details in terms of exactly what that tax credit would look like, meaning what percentage that tax credit would look like. But the Tax Policy Center, they did analysis to see, okay, at what point would this tax credit become revenue neutral, which means it wouldn't add any money to the total tax collected by the IRS, but also wouldn't take away any money collected by the IRS. And what they found was that 26% 
that would kind of be the point at which this would become revenue neutral. So that's not to say that that's exactly what it's going to be. That's not saying that that's what Biden's going to choose, but it's just saying that some independent analysis in terms of saying, how can this be implemented without impacting the revenue collected by the IRS? What would that amount be? And that amount was 26%. So effectively, what that means is if you're under the 26% tax bracket today, this would benefit you. If you contribute to an IRA or 401k, you could get a tax benefit or a tax credit that's potentially more than what you're getting today. If you are over this income tax bracket at the federal level, then this would likely not be a good thing for you. This means that you would have collected or you would have gotten a better benefit today than you would under this new policy. So what are you going to see going forward from this? Well, this would significantly change some of the nature of retirement planning. If you're in a higher tax bracket, you might forego pre-tax contributions if this new plan was implemented. The reason for that is if you're in a high income tax bracket today and you contribute to your 401k, and let's assume that these proposals go through, well, you're not getting a full tax deduction for making that contribution. So not only are you not getting a full tax deduction, but in retirement, when you turn around and pull that money out of your 401k or IRA, you're paying taxes on it again. So you might have a little incentive for people to say that they're going to make 401k contributions or pre-tax deductions today when they don't get the full tax benefit, but then also turn around and pay a full tax bill when it comes time to take that out in retirement. So you might see people that would traditionally make pre-tax contributions to 401ks or IRAs, they may opt to make a Roth contribution. So Roth, of course, you wouldn't get any tax benefits today, but that money comes out tax-free in retirement. So it could swing the pendulum in their favor to say, let's make a Roth contribution. Let's forgo tax benefits today because the tax benefits as they are might be reduced. In exchange for that, we'll get tax-free income in the future. The alternative to that is people who are in lower tax brackets, they may elect to take the pre-tax deduction today. So a lot of people, well, let's assume that you're in a a 12% tax bracket or a 10% tax bracket at the federal level. A traditional IRA contribution or 401k contribution, it might not be that beneficial for you. If putting $10,000 into your 401k only saves you $1,000 in federal taxes, but then you have to pay taxes on that when it comes out in retirement, you're likely going to elect for a Roth IRA contribution today. Well, with this new proposal, that could potentially change. If you could get a guaranteed 26% tax credit on whatever you put into your pre-tax 401k or IRA balances, that could change where you do your contributions for your retirement planning. So that's one thing that we don't know exactly what the tax credit would look like. We don't know what percentage it is, but that's been a proposal in the new tax plan. So those are some of the individual changes to individual tax brackets that we may see under the new Biden plan. But let's also go through some other changes. So number one, one of the big ones is with businesses. A few years ago, when the new tax law was passed by Trump, it decreased the corporate tax rate from 35% down to 21%. So a fairly substantial deduction to corporate tax rates. What Biden is proposing is he's proposing an increase in the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%. So from perspective, it was 35% a few years ago. It's now 21%. The new proposal is to increase that to 28%. On top of that, If you're a small business, you have something called a qualified business income deduction, where you essentially get to take advantage of the lower corporate tax rates, even if you're not a big corporation. And what that looks like is you can deduct up to 20% of your qualified business income on your tax return pending certain income limits. Well, under the new tax plan, that is likely going to be phased out for those earning for over $400,000. What you'll see is $400,000 is kind of the magic number in the new tax proposal, a lot of new income limitations or ability to do things are based upon that threshold. So over 400,000, that's where most of the changes go into play. Under 400,000, not quite as many changes, but the phase out for qualified business income deductions 
would likely go away for those earning $400,000 or more under the new tax plan. So that's business real estate. There's some potential changes with that. There's talk of potentially repealing what are called like-kind exchanges that allows real estate investors to roll from one property to another tax-free. If you hear people talk about 1031 exchanges, that's exactly what this is. Or if I have a rental property, let's say let's, let's say it's worth $500,000, but I bought it for maybe $200,000. Well, if I want to sell that rental property, but buy a new one, I don't have to sell that property, realize the gains, and then use the proceeds minus the, the tax bill to go buy the next one. I can simply sell that property. And if I go buy the new one within a certain time frame, I don't pay any taxes on that. Instead, the basis of my current property transfers over to the new one. So let's say that I have a property worth $500,000 here in San Diego, and I want to purchase one up in Los Angeles, and it too is worth $500,000. As long as both of them are going to be rental properties, I could sell my San Diego property, I could purchase a property in Los Angeles, and instead of paying any taxes on that, what would happen is that new, that cost basis of $200,000, so again, what I purchased it for, would simply transfer over to my new property up in Los Angeles. So there's talk that this could be repealed. What that means is if you were a real estate investor, Anytime that you sell your property, you cannot exchange it tax-free. If you were to sell your property, you'd have to pay taxes on the gains, then use the remaining proceeds to go invest in another property. There's also talk of limiting the ability of real estate investors earning over $400,000. Again, there's that magic number again. There's talk of limiting their ability to use real estate losses. So as real estate investors, one of the main benefits of real estate is being able to, to write off losses on your tax return. And if you make over a certain threshold, you may be limited on your ability to do so going forward. And the details of what that looks like aren't out yet, but something to keep in mind if real estate is part of your portfolio. The next changes have to do with your estate planning. So right now, if you were to pass away, there's a tax on your estate. Your estate is simply a collection of everything that you own, whether it's investments, properties, cash, etc. And right now that estate tax is 40%. But there's an estate tax exemption, which means on the first $11,580,000 that you own, there's an exemption. You don't pay any estate tax on that. If you're married, that amount doubles, so closer to $23 million. So effectively, very few people pay estate taxes today because to do so, you need to have an estate worth over $23 million. The new proposal is that that estate tax exemption is likely going to drop from $11.5 million, I'm rounding there, drop from $11.5 million to about $3.5 million. So if you're married, it would be double that at $7 million. So these are the numbers. I think that's the number that it was in 2002, I want to say. But what it's doing is it's bringing the estate tax exemption amount lower. So from $11.5 million per individual down to $3.5 million. And on top of that, and this may be even more significant for most people, is it would eliminate the step-up in basis. So the step-up in basis, what that means is if you have, say, a parent that passes away, and that parent bought Apple stock 20 years ago, and they bought it for $20,000, and now today that stock is worth $700,000, well, instead of paying the taxes on that sale, like they would if they were to sell that, that stock when they were alive, that would be a pretty substantial tax bill. So if you bought it at 20000 it's now worth 700000 that's $680,000 of gains that your parent would pay if they were to sell that stock while they were living. But if they pass and you inherit that, you have what's called a step-up in basis, where if the stock is valued at $700,000 that they pass, that's the new cost basis. So if you sell it that same day, there's essentially no taxes that you would pay. Part of the new proposal is that would be eliminated. So whether you inherit property or stock or anything else that's appreciated in value, you would now pay taxes on the difference between what your parent or whoever you inherited the assets from bought the, the asset for versus the fair market value of when you sold it. 
So that would be a pretty significant impact to many people, whereas the estate tax exemption dropping from 11.5 million to 3.5 million, it would certainly impact people, but not quite as many as the, the step up in basis would. So those are the two big changes from an estate planning perspective. Now, at the end of this, there's talk on, okay, well, what's the probability of this is going to happen? James, this is great to know, but when do I need to make changes if this is going to impact me? A couple things to note with that. So as of this recording, there is still a Senate race going on in Georgia, or there's a Senate race coming up in Georgia. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because the president, any president, can't just go create a new tax law. What happens, it has to be approved by the Senate. And so what's going to happen is the outcome of Georgia could likely determine whether this goes through or not. If Republicans keep one or both of the Georgia seats, there's a good chance that this does not go through, or at least it goes through with some very serious modifications. If Democrats win both seats in Georgia, then there's much more likelihood that this goes through. You would have a Democrat-controlled Congress, and you'd also have President Biden's tax plan. There'd be much more likelihood of this being passed, at least without major modifications. If Democrats do take both seats, there's also kind of an economic crisis that we're going through. There's COVID happening. The economy is not in the best state that it's ever been in, just with, with unemployment high and with a lot of uncertainty around what's going on. So even if Democrats do win both seats, there's a likelihood that this might not happen in 2021. Typically, you don't want to increase taxes in a year where the, the economy is struggling and the economy is not doing so hot. So what that could mean is this could potentially happen in 2022 or beyond, even if it, this, this tax legislation does get pushed through. So what this is looking at is we want to know, of course, what are the changes that would happen, but we also want to know what's the likelihood that these changes happen. And so much of that will depend upon who ends up controlling the Senate. And once we know that, we're probably going to have a much better indication of what this tax policy could look like going forward. So if you are listening to this and you're saying, okay, well, I just want to make sure that I can get on top of that. What are some potential planning issues? Well, in the future, we'll do another episode if and when legislation does go through that's fairly substantial and changes the current tax law, there will certainly be another episode that addresses that in more detail. But things you can think about today is do you start to realize gains? If you're in a higher income tax bracket, it might make sense to increase what you might call your capital gains budget. So if you're in a high tax bracket, capital gains will always be part of life. They're always going to be something that you're paying taxes on. And typically what you'll see is you might want to realize a certain number of gains each year to spread those out as opposed to realizing them all in one year. This could be a good year to increase that budget, or next year could be a good year to increase that budget. If you are concerned about this, you might want to realize more gains than you had in the past. If not, then don't. But that's just one thing that I'm seeing some people start to do. Also, another thing you can start thinking about is do you take advantage of itemized deductions now? If itemized deductions are going to be limited in the future, then it might make sense to say, okay, can we can you front load as many of those as possible? And typically you can't prepay mortgage interest, you can't prepay a lot of state or local taxes. And even if you could right now, you're capped at deducting only 10,000 of those. But things like medical expenses, can you, if you have surgeries coming up, or if you know that there's medical expenses you're going to have in the future, could you potentially pay more of those now and try to deduct, deduct them? If you have a charitable giving strategy where you give a certain amount each year, could you front load a lot of that either to the charity of your choice or to a donor advised fund where you can give an irrevocable gift, take full benefit of that tax deduction now, and then do the giving from that chair, that donor advised fund over the next several years. So those are things you might think about doing so that you can get the tax benefits today, as opposed to those benefits potentially being limited in the future. And then finally, do you want to ex accelerate income now? If tax brackets are going to go up, and again, we don't know exactly what this, will, what this will look like, but if you want to be prepared for that, well, then it makes sense to say, can you realize as much income as reasonably makes sense in a year like this, where tax brackets are lower, before potentially realizing that income when tax brackets are higher. 
So you're probably not going to be able to accelerate income from your job. You know, you can ask your employer if they'll double your pay so that you can realize that at lower tax brackets than you would in the future. But that's likely not going to happen. But what you could do is you could start to think about things like Roth conversions. Do you take some of your pre-tax balance in IRAs or SEP IRAs or other things like that and convert that to a Roth IRA? So what you're doing is you're realizing that income now when tax brackets are lower relative to where they're likely going to be. And then when you pull that money out in the future, we don't know where tax brackets will be exactly. And of course, this depends on how long do you have until you're retired or how long do you have until you need that income. But you could potentially be paying taxes now at a lower rate than you would in the future. So those are just some potential strategies. Like I said, once this tax law, if it goes through and once we know more of the details, there will certainly be another episode on it. But just wanted to lay out some of the changes that are likely going to happen if and when much of this legislation gets passed through. So that's it for today. Thanks as always for listening, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.